The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rock Kids, quit playing reindeer games and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 404 with guest Tim Hewitt, recorded live Thursday, November 20th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man who defines consciousness as that annoying time between naps, Carl Franklin. Hi, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we are the .NET Rocks guys. We're here, of course, at Ordev in Malmo, Sweden, talking to our good friend Tim Heuer. Hi, Tim. Hello. And Tim, you are the program manager for the Silverlight product. I am a program manager. A not, program not manager. Not the. No. The. There is more than one. There is. It's a, it's a, that's one thing I... I think people misunderstand about Silverlight is that it's, if you think of it more of, you know, unlike Office or Word or something that's, you know, a tangible right. product team and all the people are working on the same thing, like Silverlight's like 12 different teams at Microsoft. Wow. Just because it, it, it impacts so many different levels, right? It's, yeah, it's, you know, the text guys, the media guys, the browser guys. Right. You know, and every team has a PM. Right. Every team has multiple PMs. Yeah. Multiple PMs. Yeah. Okay. Now, we're, you've just come to the Silverlight team, right? I did. As of, uh, I think it was about April of 2008, I joined. I used to be uh, one of the field evangelists right. mm -hmm. out of um, the southwest area. So I'm still based out of Arizona. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, but I used to cover that area as a developer evangelist. Which Is it? Yeah. You, you've got that, you've been on the outside sort of thing about you, actually. I do, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's a funny aspect, really. Just, I mean, you've been out in the community for a long, we've known you for a long time. I mean, as, as, yep. as, as one of the guys, the go-to guys for, for working with the community. So yeah. it's, and now, you know, inside of Redmond more, life's, life's a little more complicated. I think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, it's a, it's bittersweet a little bit. So as, as an evangelist, you usually are responsible for, especially as a developer evangelist, you yeah. gotta, you gotta kind of know the breadth of developer, right? Sure. You know, some, yeah. Someday some developer might be asking you about 
I don't know, some one note macro or something versus right. biz talk orchestration. And so right. uh, it's not always that way, but you, you kind of have to know what you're talking about a little bit. So sure. It, and you it have is, to know a lot of products is your you point. Have to, yeah. yeah. You have to know a lot and uh, yeah. it is nice to be a little bit more focused and at least be able to, to put those blinders on when you, when you want. Right. But you're also going deep into Silverlight too. Right. And then the flip side of that is, you know, I went to PDC. I, I learned, I feel just like any other customer overwhelmed. Yeah. So much no idea stuff. what M is, no idea what Dublin is. Yeah. You know, all the Azure stuff brand new to me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I'm, I'm an outsider outside of Silverlight. Yeah. You got all this deep insight into Silverlight and surprised by what the rest of your company is. <laughs> right. right. So yeah. let's talk about your deep insight into Silverlight. What, right. is, what, 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 uh, what kind of stuff are you thinking about these days at the, at the Silverlight team? My, uh, my responsibilities are more on trying to... In, so my, unlike most, most program managers at Microsoft are, are own a feature. Right? Yeah. When, when you hear somebody say, I'm a program manager, typically right. if they live in Redmond, that means they own a feature of a product. Um, and so I'm a little bit different in that regard that maybe you might classify me more as a community program manager. I okay. do, I did just take over a feature of the product, um, albeit small and stable, but which one is that? Uh, the web activation. So the, the JavaScript initiation, oh, yeah. the, the kind of optimized install experience yeah. that, uh, Peter Pushkevich used to, used and to that manage. works really well, by the way. Yeah. See, congratulations. They, they give I, <laughs> success. Gave you stuff that works. Yeah, exactly. That was nice of them. No, but it's, did it work you know, before you were? You know, <laughs> oh, maybe shouldn't say that. Yeah. But you know, it's exciting to be a part of something like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So the other thing that that I'm kind of responsible for is engaging with the community around developing line of business applications for Silverlight. Mm. Mm. So, uh, you know, I I en- while I enjoy and appreciate good design, I'm not a designer. Yeah. Um, I don't fancy myself as someone who is a core animation geek um but or xaml head are you a xaml head you know I, i'm i'm appreciating xaml a lot more yeah. these days but i also appreciate the tools sure yeah. even more than that yeah <laughs> right so but yeah my mission these days is to to kind of understand the the needs and issues of developers building what we call i'm doing my air quotes uh line of business applications with typically in visual studio then is what you're thinking. absolutely yeah yeah i'm a developer at heart and, and this is interesting because part of me looks at Silverlight like Flash, and so I immediately think game. But we talk to the Billy Hollises of the world and the, and the yeah. Rocky Lockes of the world, and they say, hey, this is a development platform that transcends Windows, right? I can run it on a Mac. I can run it on some flavor of Linux, and it will give me a client in all those different spaces. So I mean, building real-world applications with this browser-centric uh, model. Absolutely. I mean, actually, that's one fundamental problem I have with the term line of business application. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're miniclip.com, the, you know, the largest online casual gaming site. Right. Your line of business application is games. games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you. so right. uh, I, I do have a problem with when, when we say that. But I think people understand, you know, your typical customer service right. application, sure. data grid heavy type stuff is. Uh, a lot of crud. A lot of crud. Yeah, yeah. that's a good, good example. But yeah, I mean, it, it is... Uh, it is a new platform. It's you know, if you're a .NET developer, you've just expanded your reach of your your application capabilities, um, and and I think I think we draw a little bit too much parallelism to Flash. Yeah. And I think you know the more appropriate comparison will probably be to Flex as Flex, the platform. Right. Right? Flash is kind of an underlying uh, enabler, but Flex is as more of the the platform because Flex is intended for application development right, as well. Right. What about Air? 
What about it? What is air? I breathe air. Yeah, but well, isn't it, isn't it an Adobe product? Air. It is. Yeah, and it's is it isn't it in the same line too? Air is the way I look at air is so air is the Adobe integrated runtime, right? Um, and I think uh, just this week while we've been here, they've announced version one point five of of their platform. Okay, and the air as a runtime is more of a cross platform. Uh, virtual machine, I guess you could think. Right. I, I almost look at it as a CLR type situation. Mm-hmm. That it, uh, you know, it, it's it's a runtime that that is able to run air targeted applications, okay, so to speak. Uh, and th- you know, it has a benefit of of being able to be. It's also cross browser, or it's actually cross platform. It's kind of an out of the browser experience, even though it's, uh, uh, I believe, designed to allow you to leverage your same web development skills that you know and love and learn and and perhaps the adobe tools that you're familiar with yeah will be, but be able to target a desktop like experience now if you you must have taken quite a long look at some of those adobe tools being the silver like guy I've, I've never seen them i don't know what development is like in flex or anything like that or what kind of languages are they using the I ha, I've looked at so I mean you know Adobe has a, a long line of, of products right yeah. mostly targeted designer Photoshop and Illustrator yeah, I'm yeah. sure you're familiar sure. with right but when you start looking at like what an application developer would yeah. use that would be the the, the Flash IDE yeah um, with Flex, Action Script with Action Script Flex Builder is kind but, of a yeah Flex Builder what does is there a language involved in there there is or? so Flex Builder and is the language is more um, what they call MXML which is okay. like kind of old school Macromedia I believe is where the name kind of comes from oh yeah. But it's a very declarative model. It, huh. if, if you were to look at a Flex application code and you were to switch to source view in a XAML document in Visual Studio, yeah. you, could, you could draw some pretty okay. uh, clean parallels there. Yeah. Right. So but I mean, if, it's, it's a declarative model. But if somebody wanted to write some code behind all that stuff, like we can do in C Sharp or VBNet with Silverlight, or even JavaScript for that matter, what would they use? They would be using ActionScript, most likely. Okay. There's nothing prohibits them from using .NET services, as an example, or oh, something really? like that. But in order to call those services, they're going to be using ActionScript. Okay. All right. Sure. So back on the Silverlight side of things, uh, for those who haven't actually tried Silverlight development, what's the mix like? How much of this is XAML? How much of this is, is C Sharp? Like, what, what do you do? What's your development experience like? Yeah, I, I think for for the typical developer, you know, if you put your developer hat on. I right. think you're going to be spending most of your time in Visual Studio. Yeah. Right? And uh, it pains me to say this, but I think uh, developers who think they're designers should stay away from design. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just stop. I, and I put myself in that bucket, too. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean there, are, I, there are the Scott Stanfields of the world, right? The, Absolutely. Those few really... The internologies. Yeah, very artistic uh, yeah. developers. But I, I do think they're rare. Right. But I also don't feel like we've really seen really great designer developer relationships working out. I know we got this idea, but yeah. we, we, we just have this discussion over breakfast, the idea that you send off to a designer to make a design, and they use the tools, they use the, right. the expression blend and so forth. And, and, or even and, the Adobe tools. And, or even the Adobe tools right. to create the visualization of what this app's going to be like. And then there is this munge moment where I take the generated XAML, yep. that generated visualization of the app, and turn it into the functional visualization. Because the tools the don't really generate efficient XAML. So there's always like somebody has to go and look at what the tool puts out and, and tweak it. Yeah, I th- in order I, to be good. I think nobody's really identified the definitive workflow of that designer yeah. developer yeah, workflow because right. you know, designer is a new world and, and we haven't really kind of rocked the boat as far as shaking up their workflow, right? So their workflow is the same. I you know, I work in Photoshop or Illustrator and I, I do what I do and I know what I do. 
you know, don't disrupt me type thing. So what about, what about this kind of workflow? What if the developer pulls up Visual Studio, starts a new Silverlight app, and maybe just puts a, a couple of rudimentary things like list boxes and buttons in some sort of, you know, in some sort of control, and, uh, and then hooks up the code to it to, so that it's functional, and then passes that XAML off to a designer who can then work around what the, the developer has done uh, is that, I mean, a most common scenario I hear is what Richard just said, where the designer starts with the UI and then the developer takes it from there. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. Um, so uh, Karina Barber is a designer at Microsoft. She's mm-hmm. on the uh, uh, ASP.NET UIFX team, works for Brad Abrams. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that puts you in context. Super. And, um, but she, you know, she's a designer, right? Yeah. Super, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Brad. No, really. Um, she's a great. I just let that slip. Through. She's a she's a great designer, and uh, one of the things that her and I did at um, at a, a conference in Chicago was we tried to demonstrate this designer d- developer workflow. Okay. So we came up with an idea of an application, right? And I think beyond the tools, the designer developer workflow means more collaboration as people. Right. right. This right. is so not a chuck sure. over the wall kind right. of thing. There's, this is not an email only relationship. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, at some point, you have to sit in the room, understand because there's a there's there's a there's design of user interface and there's design of user experience. Right. Yeah. The the palette, how things physically look, yeah, um, are different than how people interact with what those things are. Like. Right. So yeah. there's okay. a, those are two important things. But what Karina and I did was we came up with with this idea of this application. And I started to stub it out, right? So I, I did exactly what you mentioned. I said, okay. okay, let me just put core elements on there. I really, yeah. from a developer standpoint, I don't necessarily at this point care where they are organized from right. a layout perspective. Or even how they're visualized. Right? Or how they're visualized. This is really about just get the data on the screen. Right. This I, is what yeah. the guy's going to need to see. I know I'm going to do a parent-child relationship. Yeah, you exactly. want to set those things up. Yeah. Yep. I know I'm going to have a list at some point. Someone's going to select right. a list and that information is going to show in a text box yeah. or something right. like that. You know, you got to save it. You do all the work on the back end. Here right. you go. And that's, what we, that's exactly what we did. So we came up with an agreement of what those elements were, what those common data elements sure. were, mm-hmm. kind of that, the business requirements. And then I went off and she went off. And we actually right. did work independently. And, you know, I wrote code and, you know, checked it in. And she mm-hmm. was able to only work, you know, work. In, I was in Visual Studio. She was literally in Blend. We shared mm-hmm. the same project structure. Mm-hmm. And is she building templates, essentially, for you? Yeah, so she was at, in... In in our particular example workflow that we did, she actually was working on the direct XAML. So okay. um, she was actually modifying the UI that that I was working with because I at that point I didn't need really the XAML anymore. I right. had the elements. I had the you know we agreed upon a naming convention, uh, yeah, right, et cetera. Right. Um, so I, I could just program. Against so you the could essentially yeah you were essentially plumbing without seeing the sink. Exactly. Right? You knew the pipe yeah. would go to here, and then you stopped and turned away and, and worked on the other end of the pipe, yep. and she yeah. was able to drop that piece in later. Are yeah. we inching towards a a third party who it works with both the designer and the developer maybe in this workflow who is the glue person is that a is that a valuable thing to do because now you're sort of trying to retrofit her stuff and she's trying to retrofit your stuff is it valuable to have a third person in the middle there well i think i think that's where that collaboration between those those two organizations is is fundamental i mean yeah. you can't you can't just say toss it over the fence here and you toss it over the fence here yeah. and let's pull the curtain across and, and right. when we're done, we're done. Uh, I think it's an, going to be an iterative process. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing to me is, uh, which is the second example, is there's uh, a lot of designers now that are kind of wanting to outsource their design services, right? So you do have a developer mm-hmm. like me who I want to use Silverlight. I want to have a differentiated experience. Right. 
but I don't know anything about user experience or yeah. design. I, you know, I, I've dragged all the buttons on the screen and yeah. I've programmed them, but it looks like Battleship Gray, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's horrible. <laughs> and uh, so there are a couple designers. This guy, Felix Cork, in, in the UK is one of them that uh, he's trying to give back to the community from a design perspective. I think this is a second kind of mm. revolution that we're seeing is it huh. and. Uh, a designer community coming out. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if we're headed towards the, you, you know, CSS Zen Garden. Yeah, this is exactly the same. That kind of thing wow. for XAML. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there will be some some base kind of designs and layout schemes and things like that, like sure. Zen Garden does. Yeah. But also the, there's these people coming out that are saying, hey, you know, I'm a designer. I, I want to give back. Send me your application and I'll reskin it and send yeah. it back to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, nice. this is. But, you know, think about how much has to work to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. That is a very substantial chunk of separation of concern to make that even feasible. Yeah. I mean, it took us, what, two and a half versions of CSS to make that work on the website. And here you are, you know, it's Silverlight 2 and WPF 2 and a half. And then, yeah, and then for that matter, are you going to give the designer your real objects? Are you going to, you know, working on the data, are you going to give them mock objects? Are you going to yeah, give them- and, and that is kind of where, as an organization for Microsoft, that we're moving in our tools as well, right? So Blend, I think, is a great tool. If you talk to most designers that are working in XAML, um, they, they like it. There's a lot of things that they wish to improve. Mm-hmm. One of them is exactly what you just mentioned, this kind of design time data experience, right? Yeah. Hey, you've told me I have this data grid, but when I... You know, if you've ever yeah. worked in Blend and you actually drag a data grid on the, mm. the screen, it you get nothing. You that, literally get nothing. Right, right, you get right, an empty right. container. Yeah. And so being able to facilitate that design time experience in tools like Blend and Visual Studio as well, mm-hmm. um, so that when people are working with designing their user experience, they have they actually have something to work mock with. data yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Is that going to be up to the developer to provide that? Is it going to stub out to them? Um, I think again, so again, I think that's where that collaboration is. Right. So let's yeah. use the data grid example. You know, the developer might say, hey, we're going to have a data grid and we're going to be displaying first name, last name, zip code or something. Right. Like right. Now the designer would be able to easily in blend say, okay, I know I'm going to have X number of elements of these types mm-hmm. and I'll be able to now on my data grid, I can say generate you know, design time data that is of these types. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's the vision, I think. Right. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik. Our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD controls for WPF and RAD controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, they have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources the Telerik Interactive Trainer, and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. Um, Let's keep moving along. You know, one of the interesting angles on this is Silverlight breaking out of the browser container. We Mm. actually on the radar yet i think i think it's happening at the hacker level these days yeah there's uh there's a couple initiatives um and this is kind of that you know uh how do i get silverlight to run on both platforms out of the browser as right. well right yeah. and uh it's it's interesting to hear 
I always ask people what the scenario, what the driving scenario yeah, why? is. Right? Why? What do yeah, you need exactly to do? Yeah. And most of the time, people give me the you know the sales uh, scenario. Hey, the, the guy on a plane type situation. The disconnected. The option. Disconnected. Yeah. Right. And then mm-hmm. you drill a little bit deeper, and they you know, well, is it Windows only? Well, yeah. So to me, the disconnected Windows only Silverlight offline story is WPF. Right. Right. I mean, so if your target is Windows and you need an offline story, it's WPF. Yeah. yeah. You just go build yourself a Win app. Right. I mean, everything's there and you don't have to think about it. It's a, but it's amazing to me how much stronger the adoption of Silverlight is compared to WPF. It's like WPF Lite. Yeah. I, I, and I think that has a lot to do with it, with uh, the non-requirement of the full framework. Yeah. You know, we've, yeah. Done, we've done some work to try to develop this client profile in the, in the framework, et cetera. I'm not sure if that's landing well. I know there's the matrix of what the client profile actually yes. means is a little interesting. But, you know, there's an, the, the, in every framework, there's a life cycle where, I mean, only ever gets bigger. And yeah. <laughs> I think Silverlight actually bursts that model. Right. That, okay, now we're going to make it smaller by only the pieces you're going to need. You know, the browser gives us this restriction. We're making a new incarnation of the CLR to run on these other platforms, so we only a small subset's going to be there. And all of a sudden, we had a lightweight version of the framework. Right. Now, we've talked about this before, that Silverlight is a subset of WPF, but it also has some things that WPF doesn't have. So is it, is, it's not very um, likely that you could take a Silverlight app and just take the XAML and run it through WPF, and everything's going to work the first time. Probably not the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a true cut and paste, I don't think we're there yet, right? I yeah. Mean, you look at a WPF application, the root element is a window. We don't have a window in right. Silverlight. We have user control, right? Right. So there are a few things there. There are a few things. I mean, there's there's some of the obvious like that. And, I mean, if you had, you know, a button in WPF is the same button in Silverlight, things like that from a XAML level. Uh, will will render fine. And in fact, if you look at some of the things that we released at PDC, the WPF toolkit specifically um, was the so date picker, calendar, data grid right. were released for WPF to bring compatibility to Silverlight. Some things we yeah. took out of Silverlight too were because they didn't exist in WPF. So the goal is compatibility. Is there uh, any chance that we'll get a wizard or something that will take a Silverlight Silverlight XAML and upsize it to WPF XAML? Uh, that's a good question. I think it would be a very interesting tool. Um, and I, you know, I guess it'd be a question of value. You know, does XAML, does a XAML only conversion get you what you need? Right. True. The, the event handling and the modeling behind True. it. That's a good question. So, but it, it would be an interesting experience. Yeah. Certainly yeah. An, an advisor app that sort of spat through is that you're going to have trouble here, here, and here. Yeah. Where are the warnings? Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell me where the Point to the problems. Is, right. Yeah. yeah. But from a, you know, so getting back to your offline question as well, there, there are two ways to do Silverlight offline applications today and, uh, um, you know, we mentioned one of them, and we kind of showed one of them at, at PDC this year. But since Silverlight 2 has existed, actually since Silverlight 1, we've had a COM hosting model. Really? So it's it's documented. It's part of the, the API. We actually... In Silverlight. In Silverlight. Hosting COM objects. No, no, no. A COM hosting model to host the, the Silverlight container. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Yeah. Other way around. Yeah, other way around. So the... As Silverlight oh, as a product, sense. we actually rely on that those APIs at, at some level and in some kind of innards of the product that's interesting so because it's there we can you know we've documented it, it's out there now that does bring in some some int- the, the reason why we're not saying hey here, here's this go crazy model. yeah is go crazy really, is it really for the for uh, office kind of integration that you did that? some of those things like if you look at the uh, the msn toolbar i don't know if you've seen the msn toolbar for mm-hmm. for ie that's a silverlight application they're using the the com apis to host that silverlight application. Okay. The interesting thing comes into effect is where you were talking about the differences between WPF and Silverlight. 
when you think about Silverlight, typically you're being in a web scenario, right? Mm. So you, you, some developers may assume they have the HTML DOM to work with, yeah, et cetera. Right, right. Now you host it in com, there's no DOM. Right. right? right. <laughs> so there's, yeah. that's why there's some, you know, we're not waving the flag like, hey, here's this, this is the definitive offline story. Right. Yeah. There's more yeah. than one way to do this. There, yeah. you, we, you could do it. It is feasible to do an offline story where you're running IIS on the laptop. And and it's the back end store, it's the portable store, and then syncing with a main server somewhere else. Yeah, there's nothing preventing you actually from creating a Windows Forms app that hosts the browser control. Right. Yeah. Right? And in fact, when you look at the uh, the New York Times did a a Mac version of their WPF newsreader, that's exactly what they did. Wow. They didn't host WinForms, but it yeah. was a uh, you know a Cocoa application that mm. hosted WebKit. Mm. Right. And rendered the and the, the Cocoa application and then was able to manage that offline, that kind of local store, et cetera. But it's the really about what cool. skills you've got at your disposal. If you've yeah. got a competent Cocoa developer, they've got ways to bridge into this stuff. Absolutely. Sure. And when you don't have Mac developers, then you're living happily in the browser and using the compatibility that Silverlight provides natively. Right. Can you give me some other examples of uh, stuff that's been done on the Mac side with Silverlight? Um, from... Like the, similar to the New York Times, yeah. Reader. I haven't seen any that have been really similar to that. That have kind of been that out of the browser experience. Yeah, uh, mostly has been you know just the uh, the in the the traditional Silverlight sure. application. There's so, some of the biggest news is probably like the Netflix. You know, oh yeah, changing their watch instantly. That that's huge. It's huge now for tell Mac us users. Just about that. Yeah. So the Netflix is you know an online movie. Retailer, I don't know how right. you would technically classify yeah. them, but pay them well, five bucks a month, out sort they send of, you yeah, a DVD. Send you right? a DVD, yeah. but they have an instant viewer now. They have an instant viewer, so they've had they've had it for a long time, right. but it's been Windows. In fact, it's been Windows only, IE only. It was a yeah. true ActiveX control. Right. right. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure what they used. I actually think they used a, something proprietary of their own. But they, um, they've decided to opt for Silverlight as that, that watch now, I think it's their... 2.0 uh, or 1.0? 2. Silverlight okay. version 2. Great. And um, they're using, you know, they have their media encoded as VC1, DIRM, all that good stuff. Um, They have an adaptive streaming kind of model as well. That that is their custom algorithms of Mm -hmm. how uh, to do that. And so now with with Silverlight, they've expanded their browser base both on Windows as well as opened up that Watch Now capability to Mac users, which Mac users are are liking because for a long time they've been saying, wait a minute, you know, I've been paying the subscription, which includes my X hours of Watch Now that I'm not getting. That I can't get because I don't have a a Windows box. Unless I'm running Parallels or... Virtual yeah, unless or which is VMware or something. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to stream into a parallels. Instance. I was just going to say, yeah, that. yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd want to try that. But right. I, right. They've solved it now. That's a good thing. Yeah, uh, and of course, I think the Olympics has got to be the biggest win for silver. Oh, the Olympics was date. awesome. Olympics was good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Democratic National Convention was. I great actually too. think that the DNC w- was the, yeah. the best quality. Media. I thought that was amazing quality. I I turned off my TV. I watched it on the, yeah. on the on my. And it was live, I and mean, I did watch it on the MacBook Pro too. Yeah, it's uh, that was amazing quality. It that was, was a combination of uh, Move Technologies as well was the partner there. Oh yeah, that yeah, that. yeah. So yeah. that's uh, and Scott Stanfield's company yeah. was on the floor doing some yes. of the streaming too. Yep. Vertigo yep. Software, Vertigo. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of that stuff that you saw out of the Democratic National Convention, um, Akamai is jumping on the bandwagon there as oh, well. Great. So the uh, SmoothHD.com is kind of our showcase site for. Uh, which I, I guess we're not calling it adaptive streaming anymore. It's IIS smooth streaming. Smooth uh, streaming. Or that's nice. one of the models. Adaptive streaming meaning that when bandwidth uh, allocation changes, you can shift to a lower bit rate kind of thing. And yep. then go back. And then go back. And go back. Yeah, yeah and, and we say it's seamless to the user. And 
uh, it is seamless to the user from a playback experience, right? So no audio will chop or things like yeah. that. But you know, if I if I have a T1 full access to me, I'm going to get HD. But all of a sudden, if I drop down to a 56k frame relay, I mean, it. Yeah, I'll still be able to be watching what I'm seeing. But obviously, you're you know, going to notice the difference. Yeah, I'll notice yeah, yeah. visually yeah. that uh, I've been downgraded. Yeah, it's but, not the same product. And I guess real networks really sort of pioneered this adaptive streaming way back stuff when. way back when. They've been yeah. doing it for a long time. Yeah, and we, you know, with um, with the expression tools that we have uh, available to us as as you and I sitting here as well, mm. we can do this today, right? I mean, we can we don't as with SP one of Encoder, right. yeah. Yeah, they much, have the adaptive profiles built in, and this is just yeah. a, a way of encoding the stream. Yeah, essentially, what it does is you you know you take your media like your DNR TV, right? Yep. Let's use that as sure. an example. You have your your highest quality media. Yep. And you want to provide an, an, a, a smooth streaming experience for the playback, mm-hmm. you could use a tool like Encoder. Encoder is probably the easiest tool because the profiles are built. It's literally one click. You yeah. select a drop down that says adaptive streaming. We use the coder now, Encoder now. Yeah. yeah. So, you, I mean, you could change this today and yeah. say, I want to use the adaptive profile. You click encode, it encodes into four different bit rates and then provides a container, which we actually use the format of an MP4 container. Um, but it has a different extension. But if you look at it, it's the same. It's essentially yeah. Yeah, it's a manifest, right? Right. We we provide a manifest that says, hey, you know, for this range of of. Bandwidth, so you're actually creating four different WMV you, files. You are creating four different encoded files. Great. They sit on your server, and then the logic really is in something in Silverlight we call a media stream source, which is that API that that sends frames to the player. Right. right. And so you uh, you you have these four files. You your source is really the the container, right? Yeah. The the playlist, if you will. Right. And yeah. so that's that's what your source is. You attach it to the playlist, and the algorithm and the code is all there to say, okay, what's what's my bandwidth? What yeah. is my how long was that? How long did that frame take to go down? Yep. How long did that frame take to go down? Yep. Okay, let's step down to the next resolution lower. And here's the clever bit: is then I jump into that other file at the right point to continue the stream at lower resolution. Yeah. So I mean, the cool thing is with with SP1 of Encoder. We we ship that as part of the templates of the um, of the encoder players. Yeah. But we also ship the source code for that. So wow. if you, if wow. you want to see how adaptive streaming can be done, wow, you, it's on your machine. If you it's all right there, that's it's amazing. All right there. That's so I got cool. a I got a success story for you, and I never would have done this before Silverlighting with the encoder tools. But uh, there's a Irish pub right below my studio called Hannafin's Pub, and the guy's from Dublin. You know, he's he's a pure pure guy, pure Irish guy. And uh, he asked me if I knew how to do, you know, real-time uh, video streaming, like a video webcam kind of thing, because they they were going to have an event and they wanted the troops in Iraq, actually, to oh, cool. who were going to gather around uh, a PC and and watch this. And the idea was they're going to set up a camera with a microphone. People were going to come in, sit down, and send their wishes to the troops. So I said, yeah, sure. And literally in a half an hour, I had the the thing working. And just with a camera and a laptop going out, you know, I had my laptop on a public IP address, so they were connecting right to it. Just created a little web page that had the embedded player in it, and it was like piece very of cool. cake. Yeah. It, was, it was really easy. Yeah, that's very cool. Good and it hear. was a huge success. Yeah, the, uh, the HD camera side of this is still a non-simple part. I mean... I know, Carl, you've done a ton of work in this area. Just what it takes to actually capture HD decently and then turn it. Like, I'm just trying to think about, like what you did at the DNC, uh, this real-time yeah. feed yeah. of very high-resolution data and then generating that that adaptive stream on the fly. I mean, it's one thing to take a DNR TV yeah. and, and fire it off to re-encoding and it's done. But 
as you go. That's well, there's a live right. there's a live encoder, right? Part of the encoder, and uh, you just pick the the video source. And for the DNC, I imagine you know they've got a lot of cameras out there in the field. It's just like any other video shoot. You've got one guy who's seeing all of the screens, pushing the buttons. I want that that camera one, camera two, camera three, right? And all of that gets filtered and mixed down to a single video stream. Which goes out to the encoder. And the interesting thing is that we're hearing now is is that that is a problem, right? Like I have I have my media, my high res media or high def media in in my format. Right. You know, that's foo format. Yeah. And you're asking me to put it in VC one format. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, can Silverlight handle my format, my yeah. custom proprietary thing? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, those are things that we're looking at as you know, obviously in order to do that, Silverlight would have to have decoders and that type of right. logic. So some of the stuff that we're looking at is like, how can we enable the platform for you to even tap into it more that we can ha- give you kind of that broker layer that you want know, to, you want to have your own custom proprietary format. Yeah. yeah. Great. You know, you're going to have to build some decoding logic into it, but we'll enable you to we'll send those it. frames. And yeah. You know, what was really interesting about the DNC thing is that the, uh, the stream was getting to me faster than the than TV, the TV. Signal was. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, is almost like that was a few seconds ahead of the TV. I wonder if that was an FCC thing. Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. I don't yeah, know. that did, you know that they bumped they that stuff to back to be delay. able to cut stuff out. Seven seconds. The delay. web is true. The, that makes sense, right? Yeah, the web is the web, but yeah. it just goes to show the web's keeping up technologically. Oh yeah, it's just a, with the lack, lesser regulation, they're able to be ahead. Yeah, it also, any, it also brings into question when, if the regulation will come, right? Yeah, I mean, TV. Right. Is going on like Hulu, right? Yeah, TV yeah. is online. NBC. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. don't even have to say Hulu. Right. The day right. after any any NBC show, you can go to NBC you can go or ABC or CBS. And for yeah. people who don't know what you just said, Hulu.com Hulu. has, has uh, archives of TV shows. You know, millions of them. Yeah, we're yeah. we're very high there. quality. I mean, yeah. Very high quality. The, the yeah. concept of broadcast television, separate from the internet, is is looks like it's going away. Do you have any numbers in terms of how many people were hitting that stream of the DNC? I don't. I don't have any of those. I'd, I'd be interested to find out. Yeah. But I did see Scott Goo's announcement about, you know, sort of hinting at Silverlight 3, but just the, the rate of adoption for Silverlight 2 when it actually came down. It's it's 100 million. Yeah, it's it's really good. I, I, I don't... Yeah, I, I think that's probably an accurate number. I think a lot of the, the PR term I keep hearing is... Every one in four people in the world have access to a machine with Silverlight, right? Wow. I, mean, so nice. I don't know what that means. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's a whole lot of consolidated data yeah. into a very simple statement that is probably it needs to be qualified. Yeah. Well, Richard just brought up Silverlight three. Is there anything you can tell us that you don't have to kill us afterwards? For? Well, I can I can share what what Scott shared as well. Okay, um, a couple of things we're looking at is three uh, D yeah um, type thing, and so, so that. Means the the stuff that WPF can do now we can do it a, a little bit. So in Silverlight, what we're thinking of 3D is more of like a perspective transform. Okay. So you know X Y Z type access. Okay. okay. Maybe not. Um, you know, if you have 3D wonks that are hardcore 3D people, you know, like the, the shading and rendering and all that. Yeah, kind of stuff. some of that stuff. You know, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah. But right now, perspective is kind of. Uh, what so we're just starting about. down the 3D path. It's yeah. not going to be the whole. So might, stack of there's a, there's a lot of things that do a flight simulator, but it might look kind of. Well, I don't know if you've seen um, Silverquake. No, no. It's either called Silverquake or Quake Light or something like that. So some guy's taken the Quake engine and huh. made a Silverlight version. Uh, no awesome. kidding. And, and he hasn't released it yet, but he's released a video of him playing it. 
Wow. And, um, and so there was a lot of skepticism, right? Like, yeah, oh, sure, a video yeah, of a yeah, guy right. playing a, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it looks like Quake. It's fluid. Wow. It's, I mean, it, it's amazing. That's always, that's always been one of those benchmark things of can you run Quake on that? Right. Well, he was running it in a browser, right? It was running in a browser. Okay. I mean, it was a traditional well, Silverlight application. And that's pretty we've hard. had independent confirmation that it actually is Silverlight. Wow. Okay. So he's coming out with that. And, um, yeah, I mean, so true 3D with like WPF relies on a lot, right? I mean, GPU acceleration. Yeah. That type well, of and stuff. That, wasn't that another thing that Scott mentioned? That was, was another thing. Yeah. It, so we'll. That's the key thing. It's if you can, Silverlight can start utilizing GPUs, suddenly all things are possible. Right. right. So GPU uh, hardware acceleration was uh, another thing that, that we announced. And, um, you know, and a couple things that we showed at PDC that, uh, may or may not be in the in the next version, but definitely yeah. are looking forward to the future is you know a line of business application uh, framework to bring to enable writing line of business applications easier, a little easier. bit more declaratively, a little bit more familiar to possibly like ASP.NET developers and things like that. Yeah, so. I would imagine that the the experience could be very similar to the ASP.NET yeah. development. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things, and the compatibility with WPF always brings up interesting scenarios right sure. so you want to create a navigation framework for silverlight right well wpf hasn't you know our goal is right. silverlight and wpf compatibility right you say oh we need a navigation framework well wpf has a navigation framework yeah. let's use that right yeah well the interesting thing is you know well silverlight operates in a browser so navigate in a browser typically navigate forward in a browser typically means I need history in the browser. Yeah. I need back button capability. Right. right, those things don't exist in the in a desktop paradigm. Right, right, right. So there are some things that that that's uh, a challenge. Are, and not necessarily a challenge. It's just a implementation detail. Right. Yeah. So right. page .navigate in WPF will implemented mean something different than in Silverlight, yeah. perhaps. Simply because you because you're living in the browser, there's a known paradigm you have to support. It's going to come out differently. Yeah, there's an expected paradigm. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's what the customer or the user expects. Right. So 3D is the big thing. Are there just basic other enhancements? Maybe, uh, you know, a lot of people in the video world are looking for, you know, 1080p video. Yeah, so we've, uh, from the a codex standpoint, we've already announced uh, H.264 and AAC encoding really? support. Nice. Really? Um, and that wow. was, uh, I think it's September at the, the IAB conference in Belgium. Or I think it was in Belgium. So does that mean 1080p? Um, I don't know what, up to what levels yeah. uh, we're doing that for. Um, I mean, you could get, well, I don't know what the VC1 upper limit standards are, but you can, I mean, you can do high def today, but probably You can do 720p 720 today. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm guessing that's probably where the limit will be yeah. on HD. It's just a lot it's, of data. It's a lot of data to get 1080p, yeah. Yeah. and especially looking good. But, you know, cable TV companies are doing it, so. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. All right. If you're going to represent on the media side, I'm going to represent on the line of business side. Sure. All right. I'm going to pull up the big word. What's the big word? <laughs> Printing. Printing is uh, something that is definitely on the roadmap, probably not for Silverlight 3. Okay. I mean, yeah. but, and you know Understood. what the issue is yeah. here. I mean, 
for better or worse, yeah. we're still consuming paper out in the business world. Yeah. Right. And, and, right. and right at this point, there's really, what are the options for printing in well, Silverlight at all right now? The, you know, yeah. the options are, are, you know, to, to pop out into the browser like print functionality page, yeah. or something like that. Right. Or an XPS document is one thing. So if you mm. look at, if anyone is familiar with XPS and you look at XPS under the hood, it's XAML. Right. So if you could conceivably take your XAML elements of what, you know, whatever you want to print, right, are typically input XAML elements already and translate those and kind of create this XPS document on the mm -hmm. fly, um, that may give you some higher fidelity print options as well. But it is it is going to be a call out. It's a separate section. It is going app. to be a separate. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like I'm looking at a, an invoice that's beautiful in XAML and I can just hit hit print. the bet. Yeah. It, and which is what we want, right? Then we right. just hit the button. That's the button's right there, and it prints out perfectly. And yeah. Thanks absolutely. for playing. And I think you know, I when when we look at competitive platforms too, I'm not, I'm not sure. I actually haven't done the research to know if if Flash or Flex uh, how they deal with this challenge as well. I don't know that anybody yeah, it's today a, has a great printing solution for a browser-based app. It's a new thing, right? I mean, especially as as applications evolve, there mm. uh, we seem to forget about some of the core fundamentals yeah. of people, you know, and we say, "Oh, here's right. this. we like the flashy stuff." Yeah, we like, you yeah. know, we want user experience and blah blah blah, yeah. but we we forget, yeah, user experience also means functionality well, as well. Well, you know what? We still need to sign invoices, and the only way <laughs> yeah. to do that is to mm. put it on paper and take pen to paper. Yeah. Like it, we're still running into the you know, the legal system hasn't given us a digital way that is broadly acceptable right. still. You know, it's crazy, but it's true. Right. So that to this day, I still have companies like, you must print this. It must be signed yeah, and even sent in. Of all the ink support that everyone has yeah. in the application, and, and Silverlight actually has ink support as well. Uh, but yeah, still, the only place I've ever seen that, like a full digital, is at my Honda dealership. I yeah. go in, I wow. take my Honda in for service. They got this, this tablet slate. Yeah. I, I, you know, they they pull up this like AS four hundred looking application, and I'm literally yeah. signing on it. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's wow. well, and, it, and I mean, but that's U the only time I've ever seen it. UPS is taking the signatures that way. I mean, here and there, yeah, we UPS have these elements of yeah. people taking pure digital signatures all the way. But I don't think the run of the mill line of business app is there yet. True. Actually, you True. go buy something at the grocery store. Sometimes they'll have you sign a little electronic pad. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can't stop talking about Silverlight without covering some um, more fundamental stuff we haven't really talked about in a while, which is support for the .NET framework and for languages and things like that in Silverlight. Just to be clear, um, is there anything that we can't do? Can we, can we use VBNet with XML literals? Do we have link? Do we have all those things? Yeah, so Silverlight is a, uh, you know, a first-class citizen. It's the, same, well, you know, it's the same CLR. We call the core CLR. Right. It's just a subset of the base class libraries. Now, what does that mean? So we don't, you know, in the, in the full .NET framework, uh, you know, you have system.star, right? Yeah. In, in Silverlight, you don't have system.star. But yeah. the ones that you do have, so, you know, sockets is the same sockets in Silverlight yeah. as it is in the full framework. And is it fair to say that the things that are missing are the things that just don't apply in the browser? Um, or are there some things that you left out that could be added? Definitely some things that are left out that could be added. You know, it's, it's an accounting uh, task at that point. Sure. Right? You say, hey, here's our budget for the size of the sure. plugin that our goal is. Right. Yeah. You go around to every team, you know, you go to the yeah. uh, the SMTP mail guys and you say, hey, uh, we're doing this thing called Silverlight. Um, do you want to be a part of it? Sure. Okay. Your, your 200K library needs to be 3K. Yeah. Oh, we can't do that. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to be in Silverlight. Right. Okay. Keep working on that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's, it's a simple accounting task at that point. Yeah. Is it purely just a size thing, not a development time thing? 
It, it's both. I mean, yeah. you know, it's resources all yeah. around. But I think you know, we we do have a budget goal for our our size of the plug. The size right? of the footprint. Yeah. And what size is the footprint now? Footprint like right now is like four and a half meg. Yeah, four and a half yeah. megs. Which is, I mean, for it's the average broadcast, awesome. for, for it's instant. Yeah, for .NET, it's yeah. insane. It's crazy. I mean, for us as .NET developers, yeah. that that's how I look at it. So yeah, you got thirty megs of framework and. Into four, four and a half. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you do that? Yeah. Where's that? that that's yeah. Where's the, and what, what that juicer say did about, you use? Yeah. What does that say about the .NET framework we use on the desktop? <laughs> yeah. you know? I wasn't going to go there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I sure. I don't mind. What do you, does that mean that we can make optimizations to the .NET framework that have been absolutely. made for Silverlight? I, I think absolutely. It, yeah, it's interesting. And we have, right? So in, in 3.5 SP1, you know, startup, the, the things like startup time improvements right. and things mm-hmm. like that. I think those are improvements in the, in the core framework There's a number well. of things that different teams before. have impacted the framework. Like when they made the framework run inside a SQL Server, I think it was yeah. a massive improvement to the framework. Like the fra- what makes framework too outstanding was the effort to put it posted a different environment than yeah. the SQL Server was. Just really kicked the snot out of the framework. Everything had to be touched. Well, and this has happened before with you guys. I mean, you know, when, you, when Microsoft first discovered the Internet, um, you know, suddenly Com and uh, Olay, I guess is what it was called back then, right? We were, calling, we were talking about Olay, turned into ActiveX. And basically they, you know, they said this stuff has to go through the Internet it has to be smaller. It has to be faster. Yeah. And so that ActiveX layer was was created that really forced Microsoft to take a look at what really needs to be there and what doesn't. And yeah. They took out a bunch of Baroque stuff that was no longer Com got a whole lot smarter. And Com got smarter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and we could do, you know, we could do a lot more today. You got to keep in mind also that Silverlight's goal is a cross-platform right. play yeah. as well. Yeah. So there are some system semantics that we have to take into consideration. You, you have to well. be OS yeah. neutral. There's certain right. you can't the Win32 API no enterprise isn't services. there. Right. <laughs> and, and we do a lot of things that are native, like the the open file dialog in Silverlight. We yeah. don't, you know, when when somebody browses to a file and you and you initiate that dialog window, yeah. it's not a Silverlight specific window. No. we're calling the native open right. file. So on Mac, it looks familiar to Mac mm-hmm. users. Yeah. On Windows, it looks familiar. And, and are you Linux actually system. saying if the operating system is this, then this is the code, and if it's this, you know, then I don't, this is the, the code, there are. I think at the OS level for for system stuff like that, I think there's some pretty common API structures. Oh, that's good. We're actually using the um, Silverlight uses the uh, Netscape plugin API. Oh. And so a lot of the, really? a lot of those kind of core fundamentals are a part of that API. Right. Isn't so that you, interesting? Yeah. So when wow. you look at <laughs> yeah. when you look at it like a, a typical input type file, right, on a browser control, and when somebody clicks browse, you get that same experience, right? So that's native huh. into the browser. So a lot of things that we're doing in Silverlight are using a lot of the the browser stack type information. Networking is a prime example yeah. of that. It's it's actually a, one of Silverlight's kind of Achilles heels, right? You have networking support, but you also have the constraints of the browser networking support. You have sockets, which, yes. Yes, makes that. you happy. It yeah, makes yeah. me really happy. Uh, just throwing another thing out there that's it's got to be coming in the stack for Silverlight at some point is multi-touch. I think mul- one mm. of the things we really got for PDC is multi-touch is spreading. It's going to be in Windows 7. It's not just for Surface. Now, HP's launched this TouchMart product. Right. I think it's only two touch, but it's more than one. And, and that's well, sort and of the beginning of Well, you can do everything that you can do in the standard, you know, resizing, right. moving pictures, yeah. moving right. things around with two. Right. I think, um, you, you know, uh, you'll definitely see that, I, I believe. You at know, some point. A, at some point, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting side of this whole new WPFE you know, Zamily approach to building stuff is that that sort of thing falls out of Did it. Did you just say Zamily? Zamily. 
Zamily. I've never heard that before. That's very Zamily. Yes, thank you. Yeah, making words today. So what else? Uh, what else can we talk about, Tim? Uh, what, whatever you want. How goes the jet lag, buddy? It's uh, <laughs> it's doing better. <laughs> Catching up to me this morning. But weren't you um, weren't you working on the Windows team for a while as um, an evangelist? No, more just a, a field evangelist. So. Field evangelist. Yeah. yeah. I you know I. It's, when I when I joined Microsoft, you know, I joined in the evangelism team, and yeah. I don't know. I, I think uh, I not to insult my fellow Microsofties, but I I like to think that I have a unique approach to to customer implementations and, and just servicing customers. I really mm-hmm. believe I believe actually in the Zappos model that you know uh, the customer service you know Zappos is, describes themselves as a customer service company that just happens to sell shoes, right? Oh, right. Okay. So. You know, although I was a developer evangelist and I was focused on developer technologies, I, I think it's real important to understand the fundamentals of the business of Microsoft. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because at the local office, people would call with a Zoom question huh. and it'd get routed to me. You know, it's like not my job, right? Yeah. But I would make sure the guy got the answer. Yeah. yeah. And I well, think, and I think as a DE, that particular role, I mean, I know lots of DEs, your real knack is knowing who knows. Knowing who knows. It doesn't yeah, matter yeah. what the product is in the Microsoft Spectrum, you know who knows. Yeah, you, I mean, you'd be surprised at, at how many people at Microsoft don't know what's going on at Microsoft. They, well, there's a lot to know. You guys do there a lot is, of stuff. There is a lot to know. Yeah. But uh, I think you should know it. You work for the company. I yeah. mean, I, that's, the, that's the belief I have. So, you know, I had, mm. when Vista was, was, was around, you know, I, j- I jumped on that. As yeah, soon but as, maybe that's why I thought yeah, you were as working as for the, Windows. Yeah, as soon as the first build was available to internals, yeah, yeah you know, I, mean, I, I got the box of Band-Aids right next to me and I started installing. You know? I mean, <laughs> and it was painful. It was very painful. Yeah. But well, the only way like- our products are going to improve is yeah. when we ourselves use them and give, yeah. and give feedback. It's not oh, just yeah. use, right. it's also use and give feedback. And you're, right. you're the kind of guy who'd rather, you're willing to bleed first so somebody else doesn't have to bleed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I haven't done that with Win 7 yet. I, I am um, waiting for maybe, beta, I think Beta 1's coming any day now, and I'll take Beta 1 out. Yeah, I'm yeah I think I, from what I've absolutely. seen, and um, I did grab one of the internal builds recently and load it up on a spare laptop, and uh, even just when you look at the ISO size comparison, like yeah. it's smaller than Vista. That is interesting, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's just... It does. It does seem to run snappier. I think it's the Vista that we wanted. Right? Yeah, I think so too. Well, in, uh, we were drawing comparisons uh, that Windows Seven would be the XP to Windows Two Thousand. That 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 Vista was re- very much a plumbing version of Windows. We had to make some. You know, that's what put WPF on the map and, and all of this. The UAC and we had and the drivers stuff. to deal with. I think the driver model. Drivers was the biggest. Yeah. Pain. Yeah. yeah. But now, now that we've made that plumbing shift. We get the decorator shift. We get the, the nice layer over top. Yeah. Well, and was it you, Richard, who was saying that we had the same pain when XP shipped? I was Manassi. Okay. Remember we were talking to Manassi in, 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 Mar- in Barcelona. We said, yeah, you know, the first version of XP wasn't a happy version. Yeah, people yeah. forget about that. No. Yeah. And, and also remember the fear of going to SP2. Yeah, that's right. You know, we're that. over it now. Yeah. But at the time, shifting to SP2 was a big deal. And it turned out to be one of the best things you could do at the time. I mean, SP2. Eventually, was, yeah. Right, right. But SP2 was a breaking shift. Some apps busted at SP2. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I look at our products, especially like core Windows, you know, uh, and Win 7 has a lot of interesting UI elements to it. Yeah. I'll trade all those UI elements for, you know, the stability improvements yeah. any yeah, day. Yeah, for a nice file copy that... Yeah. 
is snappy. File cop, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, just stuff like that. You know, the, whatever reduces my mother-in-law calls to me, yep, uh, totally. sign me up. That's a powerful too. feature. Yeah, yeah we like that. So. Fewer calls from neighbors. Yeah. That's what I'm looking well, for. Well, from what I've seen of Windows 7, it, you know, it's, it's the stuff. And by the way, if you're running Vista 32-bit, Run 64-bit. I am. I, I just switched to that a couple months ago. Not you, ago. the listener. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, yeah. I'm, you know, I, and to be honest, with the release builds of Vista, you know, I, I do have good hardware, so it's, you know, I'm yeah. not a three-year-old PC guy, right. but uh, I had very few, if any, problems with, with Vista. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't run a thousand different utilities on it or anything like that, but I did upgrade to 64-bit. It does feel a lot more... Stable yeah. f- with the uh, the memory and, and everything. It's the my Vista sixty four bit on my laptop is the most stable operating system I've ever run. It has wow, never that's crashed. Great. That's great. Yeah, it yeah, has it's, never crashed. It's funny how that. It, well, folks are talking about how I can't remember who we were talking to who said that he didn't realize he'd installed sixty four bit Vista on his machine till he went to patch it and downloaded the thirty two bit patch. He went, "That's the wrong patch." <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, I'm running yeah. this. Nothing. Broke. He didn't have any 64-bit impact of any kind. Yeah, that was yeah. that was actually my biggest fear of going to 64-bit. Is will my apps work? Yeah. Right? Will yep. will my little utility that I do like will it work? And and uh, I think that's what kept me off of it for so long. But yeah. it does work. Yeah, the Windows on Windows layer is is an amazing piece of software. Yeah. And for the developer who is developing on uh, Windows 64-bit and gets some strange errors that happen every once in a while. You can fix a lot of those problems by targeting x sixty uh, x eighty six yeah. d- instead of any CPU. Um, yeah. There's a lot of problems that are very difficult to figure out that can be solved just by going into the property your compile properties of your project and changing the target to x eighty six. That's that's a great piece of advice. You know it's the other a huge thing that's piece of advice. The only thing that's really come to hit me is when I send. Uh, you know, so we do a lot of stuff on Silverlight.net for sample sure. codes and stuff. And, you know, we take our projects, zip them up, and send them. Yeah. You know, someone with with 32 bits going to download them, and they're going to hit F5 and try to run it, and it won't run because some of the SDK references say C program files x86. Yeah. You know, right. That's, that's my only yeah. complaint. Yeah, it's no, like yeah. I, I, not completely transparent. Yeah, I think there's the the default of run any is is an issue now. As we 60, yeah. it didn't matter. Run any didn't matter. When everybody was running 32-bit, right? <laughs> now that there's a real mix, that there's a lot of 64-bit machines out there, you really need to mark everything as run 32. That's a that's a great. I wonder if that's a. De- can you do that default in Visual Studio? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, but I've I've had to do that several times, and even have forgotten it, and then had these problems, and said, oh, yeah, now I remember. I got to go set that. Yeah, yeah. go yeah. set it to run as 32 because it runs great as 32 on a 64-bit oh, sure. operating system. Yeah. yeah, and you will have some, especially when you're dealing with like Windows API things, uh, you know, p invoke. Sometimes you run into real trouble when you don't target x86. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and good luck trying to find a solution. I mean, you, the error messages are completely <laughs> random. Yeah. Now these are yeah, they, it, yeah. It doesn't jump out of you and say, "Hey, you've, no. you're running on the wrong OS, uh, wrong, wrong uh, uh, operating system here." Yeah. So, isn't that amazing that we talk all about these user experience and you know this whole shift in discussions yes. and everything, and we're still at error message runtime minus six? Yeah, yeah, yeah I exactly. Mean, we, that has never improved. I, I look at you know the. The title of my blog, and I call it "Method Tilde of Tilde Failed." Right? That's a right. classic VB6 classic error. error message. I, and and we're we haven't changed. No, the line I've used is, now it's hex. It's yeah, just, it's, yeah. Just, it's a larger numbers. The line I've always used is uh, first one of the first computers I ever used, 1977, 
There's a TRS-80, Model 1, 4K RAM, and three error messages. What? How? And sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And when you actually look at the average error message, like you go look at the average ASP.NET error message, which is, you know, three screens worth of stuff. Right, Right. exactly. What it really is saying to you is, Sorry. 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 Yeah. That's really yeah. If we just went back to that, at least we're being honest. <laughs> right, right. Nobody knows with it. You know, my mother-in-law doesn't appreciate a stack trace at all, no, right? But that and, doesn't help. And this is the best one. When you get a telephone message from your mother who says, who decides she's going to read the entire message to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the answering machine message, I'll, right? I'll, I'll do you one better. I keep talking about my mother-in-law, and I, I love her. Bless her heart. But she has, Bless become, her heart. She has become my fundamental design target. Yep. I, I actually yeah. call you it can make her happy. I, I call it the other MILF, the other mother, you know, the mother-in-law factor is what I call it. Right. So the uh, she I get a call one day and she, I have I, I have this error message that says my my internet is slow, you need to download this software. This Uh-oh. was maybe 5 years ago, Uh-oh. right? So this, these were the banner ads, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, "I don't know, this was a voicemail. I don't know I don't know what to do, uh, but I printed it out for you to look at." Yeah. Now my mind instantly thinks She's not smart enough to understand that it's a banner message, but she was smart enough to print screen because, you know, if it truly yeah. was an error message, it would be a, di- a modal, right? Right, right. And I'm like, she's smart enough to print screen and print out. I'm like, no, no, no. You know, so I was like, banner ad, right? And I go over to her house that night, and she says, yeah, yeah, I, you know, here to print it out. And sure enough, it was, it was a banner ad. I explained the whole process to her. Then she proceeds to tell me about all these websites that she was uh, enjoying and blah, blah, blah. Let me show you one, she says. So I walk over to a computer. Oh, no. We walk over to the desk with a stack of papers. Oh, my God. With her bookmark process was was printing printing websites. Yeah. Wow. And then she typed them in when she wanted to go back to them? Yes. Oh. Oh my goodness! Ah. So, you know, this, these are the paranoid, These are the people that we design for, right? Yeah. And, you know, the, and she still thinks, you know, well, where did you save that document? Well, I saved it in Word. Well, yeah. but where? <laughs> well, in Word. You know, yeah. Not yeah. really, but you know. Yeah. These, I mean, this. We for, we forget as alpha users. Yep. Oh yeah. No, I've had. I knew. I talked to someone who thought that. You, Word could only handle eight documents because that's as long as the most recently used list is. <laughs> Once it came off the bottom of that list, that document was gone because they didn't know how to get it back. Go use works now. It was gone. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't even want to start talking about my mother and her oh. computer. That's bad. Bad news. So, Tim, uh, um, what are you doing here at Ordev? I am uh, giving uh, two presentations on Silverlight. Um, mm-hmm. I gave one uh, yesterday on accessing data and talking about you know how we use service layers within Silverlight and as well demonstrating some of the the future thinking that we're doing around yeah. um, accessing data. And then tomorrow I'm uh, talking about uh, designing controls. So I, if you're a control vendor, how would you design controls so that people can leverage the tools to skin them and customize mm. them and template them and stuff like that? So. Excellent. Yeah, it's great. My first time here in uh, Sweden. It's pretty nice. This is a great conference. I really love this conference. It is a really great conference. Yeah, they do a great job. I'd love to be invited back. I'm definitely coming back. Tim, thank you very much. Thank you. Tim Heuer, ladies and gentlemen. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, 
and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmit a van.